Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. I love sharing Torah classes, and thank you for listening to this episode. Feel free to follow and to share with others so they too can enjoy the Torah classes on this podcast. Now, on to the episode. Baruch Hashem, it's the summer. And uh, we're going to get started here. This week's Pasha is Pashat Chukat Balak. We have a lot of material to cover tonight. Hello. So much noise. Um, let's get started here. Yala. Two Pashiot this week. Chukat Balak. It's connected. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of very interesting storylines in these, these parashiyot that we could discuss. We are going to focus in on the storyline of Chukat. happens to be a lot of the storyline of Parashat Chukat we learned in Masechet Rosh Hashanah. It's very interesting. We learned a bunch of the stories that happened in Chukat. We learned them. And we'll see if we remember. Vezat Hashem. We're going to see if we remember. All right, all right. Hopefully not saying but really, I want to start off with the following question. This is a very basic question. Hopefully, by the end of tonight, with the Yisod, with the principle we share tonight, we'll be able to answer this question. We know Yeshaya Anovi tells us, Yeshaya, he tells us, Achishana. What does it mean, Achishana? When it comes to Mashiach, we say, in its time, Achishana. What does Achishana mean? I will make it quick. So the problem is, the pasuk is a stira, it's an inherent contradiction. Because either Mashiach comes in its time, which means there's the predetermined time, and then you can't make it earlier, no matter what we do, or achishana, make it quicker, meaning if we do teshuvah and the right things, it'll come quicker. So which one is it? Is there a predetermined time that is the only time Mashiach could come? Or is it something that we can influence if we do the right things? So, as I'll explain, there's two options. If we do teshuva, we do the right things, we're improving and we're making the world a better place, improving ourselves and the community around us and all the things we need to do. So then, God says, even though there was a predetermined time, I could make it earlier if we're all doing the things we need to do. But, Hashem also says, maybe you'll be worried. You look around the world around you and you say to yourself, Look at these guys are all chotim. How is it? The ita. There is still going to be a time. It's, don't worry. There will be an end time. There's going to have to be a time. So we could bring it earlier, achishana, if we do teshuvah, but it also will ultimately come be ita if we need it to come be ita. Based on that, the following question needs to be needs, needs to be asked. So what you're saying is, we this generation, if we do teshuvah, we improve ourselves. We could bring Mashiach. So the question that's been asked, and I've been asked this question many times, is if the previous generations that were so much holier and so much greater and closer to Sinai, and they were not successful in their ma'asim tovim and teshuvah to bring Mashiach, well, what kind of a chance do we have? No, that's not the We have no people. chance. So how does Achishana, how does the ability to bring Mashiach sooner by doing... Teshuvah, Ma'asim Tovim, and the right things apply to us today. If the previous generations couldn't do it, how possibly could we do it? 
Now, there's many different ways of answering this question. We're going to share today an idea. I believe we'll tie this back in and we'll answer the question. Bezat Hashem, let's get back to that. How do we how do we think our tshuva and ma'asim tovim to bring Mashiach if the greater earlier generations didn't have the ability to do that? That's what we're going to work on now. It's okay. Oh, yeah, don't worry Leave it alone. It's fine. I know Rio. We leave it alone. It's fine. Okay. We're also learning, no? It's okay. We're learning. Exactly. It's okay. Now, like I said before, in Parashat Chukat, um, in Parashat Chukat, when I was, I remember one time I was listening to a speech. Somebody was explaining one of the important focuses, how to speak publicly. What's it? So sometimes when there's a distraction, a public speaker will just speak louder or more dramatically, and that he tries to draw the people's attention away from the distraction. It reminds me of Yair What's that? This? We the yeah, there's just like <laughs> screaming. Yeah, yeah. But but what I what, what I was told, which I think is a very effective strategy, is you don't scream louder or be more dramatic. I mean, you could try that, but it gets exhausting really quick. I've tried that. You incorporate the noise into your drasha, meaning. Look, there's a bird there. But Chazal said, <laughs> you take whatever the distraction is and you tie it in because then they're paying attention. Anyways, I'm not sure if we'll do that tonight. We'll just try our best because, you know, we always try our best. Achishena. So how do we expect to bring Mashiach quicker if the earlier generations didn't, didn't have the end? They were greater. They were holier. They were closer to Sinai. It wasn't the time. It's the time that the Mashiach got to come. If it's not the time... No, you missed the, the first thing I said. If it was the time, you missed the first thing I said. Uh, you missed it. What? Yeshaya Novi tells us the which means that there is a time, the yeah. end time, right. but there's also achishena. Achishena means we can bring it earlier if we do teshuvah ma'asim tovim. There's two options. So if they couldn't do it, how could we do it? Okay, this is a question we're going to answer at the end of this there's year today. We can't do. There's nothing we can't do. How do we do that though? How do we understand if they could not accomplish? Bring Mashiach. We're like, uh, yeah, we're like the lowest of the lowest of the low. Yeah, but they, they also did. They were holy. They were close to Hashem. They were tzaddikim. What are we? Everyone has good things to say, but if we just focus on this, we're not going to get to the shiur. I guarantee you. So let's let's go to the actual discussion of the parasha. At the end, we'll tie this back. We have in this week's parasha. A very interesting thing. Last week's parasha, Korach, Shlach, these past parashiyot, what year were they set in, in terms of the travel? What year were they happening 49, no? <coughs> no, Shlach, Korach. It was the second year. The second year. You get confused with this. It was the second year. The second year from leaving Egypt. We had Shlach, they sent Miraglim. We had Korach. Simple, simply put, it was also in the second year. All of the stories until now were in the second year. And now comes, no, he's not so off, because listen, this week's parasha, we discussed paraduma, we're not going to get into it now, and then we fast forward 38 years. We know that there's the beginning of their leaving Egypt, the first year, the second year, they do the uh, Egel, the Meraglim, there's a decree that they're going to wander for 40 years, and then the Torah skips 38 years. Unimportant information, we skip till the last year of the travel, the 40th year. I'll show you, we know that from the Pesukim. So the 38 years in the middle, not important information, nothing to learn from, we skip over it. Which, by the way, is not so difficult to understand. It makes sense because the Torah wasn't written to be a storybook. It's so that we learn. So apparently there was nothing within those 38 years 
And we know what happened during those 38 years. Every year, roughly 15,000 Jews were dying of that generation that left Egypt. Roughly, do the math. I believe it's 15,000. Now we're in the 40th year. All the Jews from that generation had died out. The generation of those who, the children of those who left Egypt, who are going to go into Israel, are now the ones that make up the Jewish people. And this generation now is traveling, they're on the border of Israel, and now we pick up the storyline of this week's parasha. So let's speak out what happens in this week's parasha. The Jewish people travel, I'm going to go through the main points here. They travel to a place called Midbartzin in the first month of the 40th year, which is the month of Nisan. Nisan Tishrei is the change of the number of the year. Nisan is the calendar new year. The month of Nisan, and what historical important event occurs in Nisan of the 40th year? Does anybody know? Sorry? Important event in Nisan of the 40th year. No, no that was, was 38 years before. <laughs> no. Miriam dies, thank you. Miriam dies in Nisan of the 40th year. Now what happens when Miriam dies? We know, we learned this, we, we mentioned this win. before. The Gemara and Mesechet Ta'anit and Daftet tells us, Gemaran Daftet 9a tells us the Jews received three gifts in the merit of the holy leaders that were guiding them in the desert. They received the well, the, well, the rock that provided them with water in the zechut of Miriam. They received the the protective clouds of glory in the zechut of Aharon Kohen, And they received the man this miraculous food in the zechut of Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, when Miriam died in Nisan of the 40th year, what happened? The rock that was providing them with miraculous water for 40 years, it left. They didn't have it anymore. So the Jews come and complain to Moshe Rabbeinu and they say, we need water, we're dying of thirst. For the first time in 40 years, we don't have water. It's a pretty big deal. So what happens? Hashem tells Moshe to speak to the rock, and there's a whole story. Instead of speaking to the rock, Moshe tries to speak, and then he strikes the rock. And because of this, Moshe and Aaron are not worthy of going in. This is the famous incident of Meimariva. Okay? So complaint number one we have is they complain about water, which makes sense in relation to the story with the loss of Miriam. And then the, the well comes back, as the Gemara and tells us, even though it left in the with the loss of Miriam, it came back in the equal schut, in the schuyot of Moshe and Aharon. Fine. They travel on, and then in the month of Av, which is the fifth month, fifth month, Rosh Chodesh Av, what happens? They reach a place called Hor Hahar, mountain on a mountain, actually. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, take your brother Aharon Kohen up to the mountain, take off his big day, Kionagidola, the gar garments of the Kohen Gadol, and he will give them to his son, Elazar Kohen, and he's going to die there in Horahar. This is in the month of Av, and that's what happens. Aaron Kohen dies in the month of Av of the 40th year. But the problem is, when Aaron Kohen dies, the gift that was given to the Jews in his merit leaves them, which is what? The holy clouds of glory. And then what ends up happening, we learned the Gemara in Mesechet Rosh Hashanah, this other Amalek saw that these people, had, that the clouds had left, and they came to attack, and they were saved. Right? But the point is, the bottom line is, they were, they, were, they were subject to attack, they became vulnerable, and they were saved eventually, fine. Following that incident, the clouds come back in the schut of Moshe Rabbeinu. So now they have all three gifts with the great merit of Moshe Rabbeinu. 
Right? That's what ends up happening. They all come back in the schut of Moshe Rabbein. So the clouds were in the hood of Miriam. In the schut no, of Aharon. 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 Okay. Aharon. The psukim continue and tell us that then the Jews start to travel a little bit away from the land of Israel. And the Jews get nervous. They say, maybe this is going to be a repeat of the last 40 years. We're already here, and now we're traveling back. Rashi says, seven machanot, seven stops. They get nervous. We've been traveling for a long time already. So they start to complain. And they say, why did you take us out of Egypt? And we don't have any, uh, we don't have any water. We have man is lechem akilokel. The man is this uh, destructive food. They said it doesn't make any sense. We're eating man, and we don't go to the bathroom. There's no such thing. Anyone who eats has to go to the bathroom. You excrete waste. But the, the reason that didn't happen is because man was miraculous. Man was all a gift from Hashem. But they were saying, you see, there's no water, there's no food, etc. And with this complaint, Hashem strikes out at them. He lashes out at them. What does he do? He sends snakes, serpents into the camp, and they start biting people. We learned this in Rosh Hashanah as well. And they, they say, come to Moshe Rabbeinu, and they say to Moshe, save us, we're all dying from the snakes. And it was a message, by the way, they spoke negatively against the man, against Hashem, so they got bitten by snakes, which represents Lashon Ara, negative speech. So the snake basically was the cure for the snake. And what ended up happening, HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes, and he says to Moshe Rabbeinu, because, you know, I want to save them, build a copper stick and put a snake around it, a copper, it's a statue, and whoever looks at this is going to be healed from their... Injuries. That's what it and that's what ends up happening. And we learned the Gemara and Masechet Torah Shashana tells us: Does the statue have the ability to heal? So what is the answer to that? When they would look at it, they would be mechaven laviam shabashamayim. They would have focus on Hashem, and then they would be able to be healed from the injuries that this these snakes had given them. So this is the incident where they're complaining a second time about the man, about the water. So now you have a complaint originally about the water. Now a complaint about the man and the water. This one they're actually punished for. Yeah, yeah. It's not, yeah. It sounds like it's not. Yeah. It's not, yeah. They weren't worshiping it. Definitely. Why does it look sound like Because idols maybe are. Uh, you know. Look at it and it gives you an ability to heal you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How does looking at something that's made out of So that's what I just said. The Gemara tells us. They would have focus on Hashem and then Hashem would heal them. So the Gemara says. Still. Yeah. So it's a material object. Do you look at it and it heals you? Yeah. Now, he did, he did. No, it's not, it's not, yeah. yeah. Actually, interesting tidbit is that if you look at ambulances today, you see there's a stick with a snake wrapped around it. That's where it comes from, actually. Okay, one last incident I want to highlight before we go to the question. At the very end of the parasha, the psukim talk about how Moshe and the Jewish people conquered certain cities on the border of Israel. Now, one of those cities, the pasuk tells us, "Vayishlach Moshe leRagel et Yazer." Moshe sent spies. Interesting. I saw Targum Yonatan tells us these were Kalev and Pinchas who were going to be the two people used to spy up Yerecho in the days of Yoshua ben Nun. Just an interesting thing. He sent with the, spies with Rachav, the story. Right? Exactly, in exactly. In so he sent these spies to spy out Yazer, and they went there, and Rashi tells us they conquered it because they, they were reliant on Moshe's tefillot. They knew that they could conquer it. Now, I want to ask you a question. I understand all of these stories, okay? There's actually a strong parallel. I just want to point this out. 
in the beginning of the 40 years, they complained about the water. They weren't punished for that, because you need water. So that's a fair complaint. They complained about the man, and what were they saying? We want meat. What ended up happening? They died with the meat. When, they were sent they slav. They want meat, etc. They were punished that they got the slav, right? Meaning they, they, they got man, but when they complained about that, they had these fatty birds, and they ended up dying when they ate them. That's the slav. Now here also, when they complained about the water, they got water. Ended up, ended up turning out badly for Moshe and Aaron, but for the people, they got water. There was no punishment. It looks like they do get what they, just they one want. Second, just one second. But when they complain about the man, what ends up happening, snakes are sent to, to bite them. So they are punished because that's not an appropriate way to complain. Fine. Also, we find a similar parallel is that the Miraglim are sent in the beginning of the 40 years. And here, Moshe Rabbeinu is sending Miraglim to conquer a city, Yaz Er. Now, the question is, what I can't understand is, Matan made me think about this actually the other day. I'll tell you what he told me. He made me think about this. Matan made me think about this because he said, maybe the reason Hashem didn't kill them all out right away after the story with Meraglim is so that the next generation could see the Jews of the last generation and learn from them. I hear that. Like the things that Moshe but what that brings me to wonder is, and this is my question, they're still complaining about the same things the last generation complained about. It's the kids. The last generation is dead. And the kids of the last generation are still complaining about water, are still complaining about the man. And Moshe Rabbeinu is sending spies. Moshe Rabbeinu is sending spies, which didn't turn out very well last time. I just want to point that out. How could it possibly be that the mistakes the last generation made, and they know what happened to the last generation. They see 15,000 people dropping dead from the last generation every year. They know what ended up happening because of those issues. And yet, they seem to be doing the exact same thing. How is it possible, I hear you, but wait a second. How is it possible that the Jews in the next generation would not learn the message from the previous generation? Hashem will take care of you with water. Hashem will take care of you with the man. Don't send spies. It's a bad idea. And yet, they do exactly the same thing 38 years later. What is the Torah teaching us in highlighting the fact that they do the exact same things which seem to be not good things. It's a bad idea. Those Jews were killed out. Don't complain about the water. Don't complain about the man. Stop that. Don't, don't send spies. Why are you doing exactly the same thing that the previous generation was punished for if they knew what happened? They saw the results of that. What do you want to say, Uriel? Who wouldn't? What did you want to say? I throw you in the picture right now. Yeah. But what about, let me, just, let me just speak this out for a second. What about if for 40 years, miraculously, I was drinking water out of a rock? Why did it stop? But what about that? But it didn't stop. It did Moshe stop on the Friday. merit of Miriam dying. But in that? the merit of Moshe, on the merit of them complaining. But Moshe gave them the complaint. Married, he was able to. It's not the merit of their complaints. Complain to do it. No, no. God had to take it away. What is the Torah teaching us? This is unbelievable. Literally, it's the same exact story. That generation complained about the same things. They're complaining about the same things, and the Torah is highlighting this. We have to be learning something from this. You'd think they would already say, okay, God takes care of us. We've had 40 years of miraculous existence here, and yet they're complaining about the same things. The descendants, ma. Yeah, so what are they, why are they complaining about the same things? Take a break already. Figure out God's going to take care of you. i got to ask you something. Go ahead, yeah. This is the generation that was not in Egypt. The father of them. Correct. You know why they keep saying, 
You took us out of Egypt. Well, you sorry, wasn't in to Egypt. be fair, they may have been in Egypt. They were under 20. They oh, left they, Egypt. They, they could have been five now. years old. But when they say you took us out, it's yeah, us as a Jewish people anyways. So, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's the pshat? How, what is the Torah teaching us in saying us. that the Jews in the next generation complain about the same things the other generation complained about and it didn't turn out well for them. They should have learned their lesson. So you made me think about this because what you were saying is they didn't die out right away. They, they were there still. Hashem gave them also the support to be partners to let them enter to Eretz Israel. Yeah, yeah, they have this foot. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, now, let me ask you a more fundamental question now. I think this opens but up the idea. But we spoke about why you didn't wipe them out. What the Egyptians would. That's a different story. But you, what you said, I think, has value, and I'm going to highlight that. The whole idea of the Jews complaining in the desert is a very difficult thing to understand. I'm telling the first generation yeah. now. They just went through ten makot in Mitzrayim. They saw Kriyat Yamsuf. They saw. God in the greatest revelation of God, Har Sinai, that no other generation saw, more than prophets in future generations saw, Shvachot, maidservants saw. How? And yet, they're complaining. How do we understand, this is a general question, how do we understand this concept of complaining when it's such a miraculous existence that exists in general with that generation of the people who lived in the desert? Very difficult thing to understand. What do you want to say, Yosef? Okay, fair, fair. I hear, I hear. I mean, we, we live pretty well here in Miami Beach, I gotta say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear, I hear. <laughs> we have Yosef. <laughs> All right. Yeah, what is it, Aria? I really don't understand your question. Something that's tasteless. Not tasteless. Well, whatever it tastes that's like, whatever true. you imagine you want it to Yeah, be. that's pretty cool. That's a good so magic trick. If I could do that magic trick, I would. Okay, wait, but it has no texture. It has no, you know, it's just like, whatever, like uh, cotton candy. Whatever. Oh, if every day you're getting water. If it would be there, it would be the big complaint. For sure. Now I understand why they complain. Every evening we come to your shore on yeah. Wednesday and yeah. there's sushi. Yeah, there is sushi every week. And then all of a sudden, nothing, empty table. Yeah. We would also complain, right? So you're asking a question where, what's the big deal? You're yeah. Any normal, it's in the instinct of a person to complain. If there's water every day. I hear, Oriel, I hear you. If there's water every day and all of a sudden I take the water away, I'm going to complain. It's hot, it's a desert. If I have clouds of glory that are protecting me from heat, and from the environment, and you take it away. I'm going to complain. So really, the question is, let me just continue. The question is, what is the Torah teaching us by telling us that the Dor Deya, the generation who saw God, the greatest generation to ever live, they received the Torah from Hashem. What are we supposed to learn from the fact that they were complaining? There must be some message there, because if the greatest generation to ever live was complaining about things that you look at and you say, it doesn't make any sense, miraculous existence, things are amazing, and they're complaining, what is the Torah really teaching me? It's an amazing thing. So I think this is the pshat. I think this gives an explanation. in greatest way, and God is always great. I think this is a general explanation of the storyline of the Midbar, and I think it has very practical applications, as we'll see later. The pshat is like this. When we look at the generation of the Midbar, we're looking at an experience in the human condition. We're looking at the things that they did wrong, 
That means those are things that essentially people struggle with. That's what it means. It means when we learn about the story of the Egel Azahav, or when we learn about the story of the Miraglim, or we learn about the story of the Mit'onenim, whatever the, the stories are of the sins that they did, what the Torah is teaching us is the greatest generation of Jews who saw God face to face by Har Sinai like that, and they created these issues. They stumbled in these, it must be, these are struggles that people naturally have. What do I mean by that? It means these are basic challenges that humankind will struggle with. Now what does that tell me? What does that tell me? Whatever the underlying sin of Egel Azahav is, you want to explain it's a lack of emunah, it's a want to control, however you want, those are underlying issues, underlying challenges that every human being naturally struggles with. That's what the Torah is teaching us with all these complaints of the Dordea. If they were so close to God and they saw God in all of His glory and they still made these mistakes, must be these are things that are fundamental to the human condition. They're basic. They're almost part of our nature. These are things we will struggle with. If they struggled with it and they were so great, this must be something that we naturally have a problem with, have a hard time with. And therefore, the Torah tells us they complained, or they did Egel HaZahav, or they did Miraglim. What it's telling us for future generations that we should know, these are things that people naturally will struggle with. And we're supposed to learn a lesson from that, by the way. What's the lesson? We should be careful about those things. Whatever the underlying challenge or struggle of Egel HaZahav is, whether that's an Emunan Bitachon, or maybe you want to be in control, or we're desiring uh, the women when they fell with the Benot Moab, whatever the stories are there, these are natural struggles humankind has, and because of that we have to be aware and, and make sure we don't struggle in that same way. So I was thinking, perhaps it's the same thing here. The Torah is highlighting that the 40th year, it's the next generation, and yet what ends up happening is they struggle with the same things. Because they didn't look back at the last generation, learn the lesson of the last generation. God will take care of us with water. We don't have to get worried about that. God will take care of us with mun. We're going to be safe. They didn't learn those lessons. And what ends up happening is because they didn't learn those lessons, they do the same avera. <coughs> the point is, 100%, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me just finish the thought. The point is, is that by understanding, the Torah is telling us the greatest generation struggled in those ways, that's part of our condition. Human beings struggle in these ways. That's what we learn from the Dora Midbar. And the children did not. No, I'm not justifying it. It was the wrong thing and they were punished for that. But that's what we're supposed to learn from it. Those are things that naturally people will struggle with. And the 40th year, they didn't learn those lessons. And they did the same things. So when they complained about water, right? okay, people need water, so Hashem didn't lash out at them. But when they complained about the man, come on, chevra. You've been, man already you complained about, you wanted love and I... Mun is a good thing, so they got punished. Moshe Rabbeinu sent spies, just to clarify that point, there's no issue in inherently sending spies. The issue was, if you're sending it because you're lacking in emunah, if it's ishtadlut, it's an acceptable thing to do. You're lacking in emunah, you don't think you could conquer the land, that's a problem. But for Moshe to send Kalev and Pinchas, like the Targum learns, there's no inherent issue there. They just wanted to conquer. That was not a problem. So ultimately... Ultimately, what the Torah is telling us in these stories of the Dordea, the first generation in the first, the first and second year, and in the 40th year, where they stumbled in the same things because they did not learn 
the lessons of the previous generations, that sends a very important message to us. And I want to say three levels that that sends a message. There's a global historical message, there is a, a national message, and there's a personal message. What do I mean? So let's go with the global one first. You look back at history. Somebody told me once, history is the greatest uh, test for different hypotheses. What do I mean by that? You want to know how anything works out? Any suggestion, any strategy, any program, any idea, any movement, look throughout history. There's no chidushim. End of our chadash tachat Hashemesh. Go look back at history. You have a novel idea? Go look back at history. You'll find sometime in history that somebody tried that. And go see how that worked out. So if you look at the world in a historical sense, I'm not talking about Jewish, not Jewish, anything. You want to know how things worked out when you behaved this way, or when you did this, or when you tried this idea? Well, go look back at history. It's the greatest test for new ideas, because those ideas have probably already occurred. So on one hand, in a global and historical sense, we look back at history, we learn very often from the mistakes that other people made. When other people made, Rome was destroyed. Why was it destroyed? They got full of themselves. Ah, it was such a great life they were living, indulging in every sort of uh, prohibited pleasure, etc. Okay, that might not be the best idea. It doesn't end with success. You think that's the best society? Take a look at how that worked out over there. You can learn from the mistakes of history, of the, for, for thousands of years of history, what is a good idea and what's not such a good idea. Now, in a national sense, it's also very true. In terms of our, us as Jews, well, I have an idea, a new program I want to implement as a Jew, okay? Well, let's look back in history. How did this suggestion work out in a historical sense? In terms of the Jewish people, was this a good idea? Or was maybe for our nation, this was not such a good idea? Oh, maybe I want to be a fake Mashiach. How did that work out in the past? Didn't work out too well. Not a good idea. Now, obviously, it's Asur as well. But you can learn from the past what's a good idea and what's not. Other people made the same mistake historically. And we see historically what ended up happening to them. So we should learn from that. And if we don't, we're foolish. We're foolish if we don't learn from them. And now in a very personal way, listen to this. And this you find in the, in the field of psychology. You have like this. Children go to a psychologist, the children of parents. They come in, it could be an adult, 25 years old. He goes in and he starts to talk to the psychologist. Listen, I have this problem and that problem, and it's all because of my parents. It's all their fault, how they raised me, how they spoke to me, how they dealt with me, blah, blah. And everybody thinks, and this is a very common thing today, blame the parents, blame the parents. And by the way, you could blame the parents a little bit. But listen, but listen, is it productive to blame the parents? Is it healthy? Are you going to accomplish anything? Well, there's two ways you could look at it. If you're just taking off the responsibility of improvement by blaming your parents, they made me this issue and therefore I cannot do anything about it. That's completely unproductive. You're killing yourself because you will not improve. But if you're saying, you look back and you say, okay, I understand why I developed into these bad habits, bad midot, bad character traits because of how I was raised. You're not blaming your parents. You're saying, I understand it. And now that I understand, I possess those things because of my parents, my grandparents, etc. I will work on improving myself in those areas. So you learn from your family's mistakes or the way things happened previously, not to release yourself of responsibility, not to take off the chiyu of the obligation to improve, 
But you learn about it. It makes sense, you know. If I look back and my parents were greedy people, it's kind of natural that I would also be a greedy person. Well, if I understand that and I take responsibility, I'll also try to work on not being a greedy person, be more of a generous person. If I grew up, my parents were mean people, or my grandparents were mean people, or the society I grew up in, they were evil people. Well, if I understand that and I don't release responsibility, but I take responsibility, okay, I understand that based on the mistakes of those who I was around, my family, my friends, society. And then I work on that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing, actually. Because then you could actually, but if you don't look back at the mistakes of those, and then you don't learn about yourself from that, it's very difficult to You're solve a problem. End up in the same place. Exactly. It's very difficult to solve your own problems if you don't appreciate your own problems. And how do you appreciate? Very often, the way to understand your own issues, well, where did I come from? Sometimes it's, now, I'm not saying chas v'chalila. We have to look at our parents in the greatest kavod and the greatest positive ways. But the reality is, everybody has mistakes. Everybody has shortcomings. Everybody has chesronot. In order to understand our own, sometimes we look back at our family. So this idea persists both in a national, in a historical sense overall, in a national sense, and also in a familial sense. If I have struggles, I have to recognize those struggles to work on them. And I can learn from the mistakes of my predecessors. I can learn from the stumblings of the ones who preceded me what I might also struggle with and then fix myself in those areas. So the whole story over here of the Dordea, the first generation, the first and second year, and throughout the 38, nine years, and the 40th, gen, 40th year, the last generation to go into Israel, it's an idea that they did not learn, and then they continued to stumble. But for us, we have to look back and say, what is the reason that they did Egel HaZahav? What was the underlying cause for the sin of these spies? What caused them to complain so much about the water, about the food? And if we understand those underlying issues, those are part of human nature. We will learn from that and work on those as we will naturally stumble in those things as well. Now just to finish off, we started off, we asked, if the earlier generations that were so much greater, they could not bring Mashiach, how could we possibly bring Mashiach quicker? What's the answer? Learn from their mistakes. We have an advantage they did not have. We have an incredible opportunity. What is our opportunity? Five, 2,000 years ago, they couldn't look back at 6,000 years of history and say, you know, I see when this empire acted that way, they were destroyed. Or I see when this empire acted this way, they self-imploded. But we have a perspective of almost 6,000 years of history. We could look back at our own history. We could look back at world history, the great empires that, that crumbled and no longer exist. We have an opportunity to learn from our predecessors the good things, the things that are valuable. You see your morecha. What does it mean? You learn from their positivities. They didn't learn from their... Pre they didn't have themselves as their predecessors. They had other people that preceded them. But we have thousands of years of history to look back at, to learn from the positive things, as well as to learn from the mistakes. There were mistakes made along the way. They don't have that opportunity, those earlier generations. So perhaps the reason we could bring Mashiach, we could still bring Mashiach in this generation is because we have the greatest teacher, which is history, our own history, world history, which they didn't have. They had other, they had people that preceded them, but we have thousands of years of history to learn from. And if we look back at that, we can learn from the good. We can learn not to do like the bad, understand where is the underlying lacking, and hopefully through that, we can do Teshuvah, Torah and Masim Tovim, Zat Hashem, we should be Zoche, to Mashiach, B'mhei Rabbi Amenu, Mat Shalom everybody.